in a unique setting, and yet the truth of the matter is that when you preach through a book, you'll cover everything. And there was nothing that was untouched. So I'm glad that we do this thing on Sunday night. Well, a man went to the doctor because he was concerned about his left being the level of energy. He told his doctor that he wasn't able to do all the things around the house that he used to do. When the examination was complete, he said, Now, Doc, I can, I can take it. Tell me in plain English what's wrong with you. Well, in plain English, the doctor replied, You're just lazy. Okay, said the man. Now, give me that medical term so I can tell my wife. goes to see, this is just a news line, I guess. Smith goes to see his supervisor tonight. Boss, he says, we're doing some heavy house cleaning at home tomorrow, and my wife needs me to help with the attic and garage, moving the hauling stuff. We're short-handed, Smith, the boss replies. I can't give you a day off. Thanks, boss, says Smith. I knew I could count on you. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can come here tonight and even have service and be up here and praise, be up here special and know that we can find out. Lord, I know that I've heard of stories of underground churches in China and it's been vastly more like it doesn't. study through this first chapter of the book of Philippians, and Paul's lifetime goal was that Christ would be exalted in everything that he did. That Christ would be exalted in everything he did. 
it's well pleased rather to be absent from this body and be present with the Lord. But then he goes on there and he says this in verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleased with one another. I wonder today if if that's really the goal of many people and many Christians today. That the number one thing in my life is that I would please Him not please the world, not please uh, my friends, not please my family, but that I would please Him. And so Paul's lifetime goal was that Christ would be exalted in everything He did. And he goes as far to say that, that but of all boldness and always so now, that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. When you I have read about great men who were not preachers, people like Letourneau, who who were multimillionaires, but built his whole empire on one thing to Jesus Christ. That Christ would be magnified in his life. And I remember the story of how that what made the difference in his life and everybody else's was that he said that he had worked for months on new controls for his he, he was Letourneau equipment with heavy heavy machinery, heavy uh, the fuselage and the, and the bulldozers and all that. But he was working on his controls, and his controls would make the difference in his company. And he had, he had basically put every dime he had into this thing. And if he failed, it would probably mean bankruptcy for him. That's what he, that's what he said. And he said, I had, I looked at those, I looked at a, at a, a drafting board, and I looked at it, trying to draw these controls out, trying to, and I said, it was just like a wall, that nothing would happen. And he said, finally, uh, he said, I had to have this done by, for the bank on on Monday. He said, so that we could we could then go down and get the loan and the money that we needed to continue on. And he said, finally, Saturday coming, he said, I didn't have a clue. So I was up all night looking at this thing, nothing happened. Sunday morning rolled around, and he said, now I've got a choice. And I believe this same choice that you and I have to make many times. So the choice is, do I continually, because we don't see that people really watch us, do I continually go on to church, or do I take that time out, and I think that time will, well, I need to do all this other, but if I do that, then I'm wasting my time. And he thought about this, and he realized, he read Matthew 6.33, that said, if I seek first the kingdom of heaven, all these other things will be added unto him, and he said, I went to church. I left the drafting board, left everything, knowing I had to have everything done by Monday, and I left I left that all that stuff on the drafting board. I went to church, I came out of church, he said, and somebody said, Hey, will you go with us? Uh, there's a gentleman down here that doesn't know the Lord. We're going down to witness to him. He knows you. Will you go to us? And he said, I end up going with him. So by the time we got back to church, it was time for church to start at night. He said, I went to church. He said, I walked back in my house after that Sunday. I walked up to that drafting board, and he said, I just looked at it and nothing. And he said, Lord, I just don't know what I'm going to do here. And he said, within 30 minutes, all of a sudden, an idea came to him that made the difference in his controls and all other controls in that heavy equipment. And as a result of that, he said, I worked it out, and what I could not see was done in 30 minutes. And that was the thing that made him his company the difference. I, I love to read about those things. J.C. Kenney was that way. 
You ever been in a J.C. Penney? There's not many of them around now, but there's still. But a great individual, great Christian individual. That may, and for some reason, we get the idea that you've got to be a preacher. No, you don't. So Paul's lifetime goal was Christ would be exalted in everything he did. And so let me go back to our question. What area of your life, or what is the, how does the Lord receive glory and honor for your life? Paul says that Christ be exalted in my body. And he goes on to say, whether by life or by death, we know it was by death as we look back. He said, even if I die, then the Lord will be exalted. The number one thing in his life is to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And we talk about that a lot. We talk about bringing glory and honor to Jesus. And we, we, we pray. Many times up here, I will pray. I'll pray, Lord, may everything we do in this service bring honor and glory to you. But do, here's the question. Do we really mean that? Do we, do we mean it to the place that Paul did? That even if it meant his death, that it meant that he would rather that Jesus would get the glory and honor for him rather than him be able to be alive. Paul had all-consuming passion to know Christ. And he understood to gain that knowledge, to become intimate with Christ, there was a price to pay. But he's willing to pay that price. We're going, to, we're going to hear him say in chapter 3 of Philippians, uh, verse, verse 10, and we, and we read what he said when he said this, that I, this is what Paul said, and I wonder if you think this, and if we really want to know Jesus, and we want to know him intimately, he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might know him and the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave, that I would know that power. And then he says this, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He realizes that if he really wants to know Jesus, if he really wants to get to know him in the way he should and to have that power resting upon his life that we all need, we need that life-giving power, that in order to do that, then we've got to be willing to stand up for him and we've got to be willing to suffer for him if it needs to. I don't think we go out looking to be saved. It's just like I think sometimes people look at and we think about people being martyred for the cause of Christ. I don't believe that God calls everybody to that. I, I believe there's some people that God literally calls to be martyred. I don't think He calls every man to be martyred for the cause of Christ. But I think there ought to be something inside of us that says, I want to honor Jesus in so much that whatever I have to do in my life to put aside my my own being my own, uh, my selfness, I, that I want to do that in my life. So he had a passion, and he was willing to pay the price for his Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, Christ was all-consuming in every area of Paul's life. Now, many today who say they're Christians, they divide their life up. And what I mean by that, if they had to, be, if they had to label things, they would have one section labeled secular, and they would have another section labeled uh, sacred. And, and, and sacred would consist of those things done on Sunday when we pray, when we witness, when we read the Bible, when we go to church. And then there would be another section labeled secular, and that part of the life would be work, recreation, family, life, sports, and so on. And the truth be told, there's no connection between the two sections. 
May I say to you that God never intended for that to happen? When Paul is saying, he's going to say to us a little bit later on, he's going to say in verse 21, he's going to say that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's going to say, Christ is my life, is what he's going to say. He's saying, Christ is life. The next breath I take is Christ. We do that and we say, come to the Lord, you know, say, boy, that guy really loves football. Boy, football is his. Everything about Jesus Christ is His. That He wants that more. That He He's willing to live for for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Is what He's saying. But Christ is life. I don't think we we totally understand what He's saying here. Their lives are organized. Most people today are their lives are organized like Time magazine. They, Time magazine takes it and they divide things up. They got the news in one section. They got the politics in another. Then there's business. Then books comes next in modern living and entertainment. And then in the back they'll have religion. And I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but I'm going to tell you, Satan is mightily at work in literature right now. Go to some bookstore and try to find something. All you're going to find is what I call gospel life. All you're going to find is Joel Osteen and what's the lady's name? Joyce Myers and all these other people. And I, I mean, I don't have anything against uh, Max Lucado. I like him too. I, I, I've read some of his stuff. But he doesn't go deep. He don't get into the deeper things of the world. And go to some of these bookstores because life way closed down. Try to find things. The only way you can do everything is now online. If I'm going to pay 80 bucks for a Bible, and that Bible has, and the reason I'm going to pay 80 bucks for it is because of the binding. Because this is why my Bible here is glued together with duct tape and I don't know what everything else is, is here because I've got too much stuff in there and I don't want to lose it. And, I, and I've got one just like it, brand new Bible laying at home, and I won't use it. I'm getting familiar with this one. I've spilled things on it. I've done it by just about filming when I did it. But but here's what I'm saying. If I'm going to pay 80 bucks for a Bible, I want to hold it in my hand. Well, let's go. Where can you find it? Trick and I even uh, about a few a week ago, we went down to Shelbyville and went around shops, and I told Joe we were so close to Louisville. I said, because when Lifeway was going to close, they were just going to close all the small stores. And BJ, who was the manager of the one in Richmond, and then they sent him to Lexington to close down that store, he told me, he said, I don't understand why we're closing this store down over in Richmond. He said, we're making money. He said, we're making money. This is, this is the store's production. But they closed it down. And so, but then the first, they said, we're going to close down all the small stores and the major stores and the large stores, we're going to keep them open. So we went to Louisville to go down there and watch this close. So where can you go to get, to really get the material? And go to these places. What's the bookstores in Lexington? Not, what, what is it? Those are the best. And what's the other one? What now? Barnes and Noble. Go to them and see. And what were, like, the one in Hamburg. What's it? Is that Barnes and Noble? Barnes and Noble. They used to have two or three sections down through there with nothing but religious stuff. Religious books. Bibles, no matter what. Then or not long ago, all that's gone. Now they've got one little section over here. They've got one one here and one here. And that's it. Nothing else. Same thing for over on, on the green. What is that? Those are the best. Same thing there. 
go to Half Price Books, you used to go to Ollie's over there, and you used to get some, you know, get, you get a Jeremiah Bible or some of those things like that. But you can't get that anymore. They're getting very limited. So what are you seeing? I'm telling you, this thing is happening, guys. The Word of God, and, and for you and I that really study, we're going we're gonna to go somewhere and we're going to find it one way or the other. We're going to find the books and the things that we need. But for just everyday young people or Christians that are trying to find their way through this world, and for them to try to find a book now, they're, they're, it's going to be very, very discouraging for them to be able to do it. So as a result of that, we labor in a world to make a living and which is much mundane work. Yet at the same time, we're citizens of heaven. You know, and, but another question would be, though we're citizens of heaven, can the world tell that we're citizens of heaven? We are, we're, we're no people have become God's people, and there is a Christian work to do. There is something to do. But we take Christian work and we put it in a category of sacred. We put it over here, and then we've got everything else sacred. So we think God is honored only by their devotional life or by what we do, they do on Sundays, is what most people think. But it's not true. In fact, it's a lie. David was a great poet, but he served God as much as a king as he did a poet. Jesus said this in John 8, 29, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. In other words, Every area of my life, I do those things that please Him. And Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do, Christ ought to be there. I don't know. I think sometimes I'm an old fogel. Because we go to places, some places, and I feel out of place. I don't feel I'm in place there. I mean, I... Get invited to a lot of things, a lot of weddings, different things like that, and I go there, and, and yet, by the same token, we don't stay. And we don't stay because we feel out of place. Uh, I mean, I just, I can't help it. I mean, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to sell alcohol and everybody's going to get half loose and everything, I don't want to be there. I can't help it. You know, don't talk to me about how, you know, don't come to me and talk to me about, well, the Bible says that it's all right to have one drink. Don't tell me that. I lost a brother at age 40. He died in his sleep in the third phase of alcoholism. I watched my mother drink like crazy as I grew up. It did something to her. Don't tell me how that it won't hurt anybody. It does hurt. Don't tell me it doesn't. That's probably the very reason when I grew up, I grew up with a bunch of boys that very thought that, you know, the big thing when we became teenagers was go and get a case of beer, get somebody to buy us a case of beer, and then we would go out and camp, and then they would be sick all week long growing up. And for some reason, the Lord put an impression on me that that just wasn't fun, you know. I didn't want any part of it. And so I thank God that that is part of my body. Now, there's other things that, that, that I've had to battle, but I'm, I'm just saying simply that was not one of them. The Apostle Paul knew that we as Christians were to present our bodies as living sacrifice. It says that in John 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're to present every area of our life, every our time, every 
everything, our efforts, everything. We're to give it to Him just so that He can be well pleased. And so Paul in Philippians 1.20, he applies this thought to his own experience, noting that Christ will be exalted in His body, whether by life or by His death. Can you exalt Christ on your job? I think you are even lady. You know what I'm saying? I have to work. Uh, and the question, the question is, can you exalt Jesus on your job? Can you be that person? Uh, and it may be that you're just the joy and the peace and the love that you have for other people may be the thing. It may not be it. The main thing that you may have to do on your job is take a stand where that when they want you to do something that you know it goes against what Scripture teach and what the Lord wants you to do, you may have to stand there and say, no, I can't do it. That Christ would be exalted. So the first truth that, God, that we, uh, we have here from this verse is we're God's temple. God dwells in, and listen to this, God only dwells in His children. Thus, if Christ is to be exalted, then it can only be magnified in the child of God. He will not be seen in the life of an unbeliever. You may see an unbeliever do some good things every now and then, but overall, you're not going to see Christ exalted in Him because they can't. We continually read the word members, having your members in Scripture. What is members? Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death your members which are on the earth. Well, what are members? That's your hands, that's your eyes, that's your ears, that's your mouth, whatever it may be. Romans 6, 13 says, the, uh, the members here means parts of your body. It says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That your feet ought to be used for to bring glory to Jesus. Yet your hands ought to be used to bring honor and glory to Jesus. Your eyes ought to be used to bring glory and honor to Jesus. Your ears, your, your mouth especially, ought to be used for this. Your hands are to glorify Christ. Well, how can I do that? Well, doing things, building stuff, helping people. I don't know. What, think about it. What are the things, if you work with your hands, what are the things that you can do with your hands that will glorify Jesus? Your feet. Does your feet take you to places the Lord would not be comfortable in? You know, like I said, there's some places I can't go. I'm, I'm just sorry as I can be. I don't want to insult anybody. You just sort of slip out, whatever. How about your eyes? The Bible says in Psalms 103, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who follow out to my cling to me. And what about your ears? What do you listen to? Do you stand and hear gossip or listen to things that won't edify or exalt Jesus Christ? Do you do that? Your mouth, does what you say honor Christ? Your body is the temple of God. There are many doors for things to come in to defile that temple. And if I'm not walking with the Lord, if I'm not, if I'm not uh, being discerning about the Spirit of God, I'm not going to see those things that are coming at me. Satan is smart. Listen, guys. He will come at you in ways that you never thought about. He always tries to come in the back door. He doesn't come with a big sign and an arrow pointing. Here comes temptation. He doesn't do that. He slips up on you, and once he slips up on you, then all of a sudden you're caught, and you didn't realize that you're in the middle of something. But your body is the temple of God, and there, there are many doors for those things to come in and defile that temple. The second truth that arises out of Philippians 12 is your eyes. Is your eyes. Is Christ going to be edified in your body? Then he must magnify in each of its parts. For instance, 
in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the eyes are mentioned twice. It's mentioned first in Matthew 5, 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Well, what's he talking about here? Well, look what verse 28 is dealing with. The verse prior to that. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's dealing with sexual immorality. But also in Matthew 6, 22 and 23, he says, The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, your eyes good, your whole body will be full of light. Uh, but if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For what he's dealing with here is what he's dealing with in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What's he saying? With your eyes, that's where greed and those things come in. Where love comes in. That's what he's trying to say to us. Listen, whether we want to believe it or not, you and I live in downtown Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, I know we think it's a place way over in the, over in the east someplace that was destroyed, God destroyed. Listen, you and I are living downtown Sodom and Gomorrah. And you say, how in the world, Lee, can you say that? Well, Winchester's not there. No, I, listen, all you got to do is go on your computer. All you got to do is open up the TV. You know? I'm saying all those things that were there are coming at you right now. I'm listening to things that, you know, we got, we got, we got people, they're just, it, it is no longer stupid. It has gotten to be diabolically evil when they're bringing in these cross-dressers or these, these people, transvestites or whatever, to come and read. They say they're coming in to read stories for these little people. Let me tell you something. And then I hear stories about how that they take these little boys that are there, and these, now we're talking about kids four and five years old, and dress them up in these stockings and things that are happening there. Come on. That's evil. It's just diabolically evil you can say. And most of those people are pedophiles. So, you know, we're living in downtown Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you notice, products are being sold to encourage adultery, materialism. But Christians are to serve the Lord. I read a story one time of a young woman that one of her first great steps forward in her Christian life took place when she realized that advertising generally appeals to non-Christian elements in our character, and she determined to shift her life quickly. I mean, they can't tell you a roll of toilet paper without some girl standing there in a bikini holding it. Huh? I mean, I mean every, everything about it is this way. The Bible also teaches that Christ must be magnified in a way how we use our tongue. In fact, the whole chapter, there's a whole chapter in James is dedicated to the use of the tongue, chapter 3. James comments on the power of the tongue for good and evil. How many times have I seen a person say something to another person that was harsh with no idea where or what that person was going through and then walk away and that other person is devastated. I, you know, I, I just would, I'd like to grab that person and just haul off and smack them somehow. I mean, that they don't understand, they have no discerning spirit about them of what they're fixing to say. You know, uh, or, or as a Christian, we should try to determine. Before I get ready to say something to somebody, and, and I, you know, if I'm 
just in general talk, that sort of thing. But if I'm fixing to say something to somebody, I need to determine something. Here's what I need to determine. Are they a believer? There are some things I will say to believers that I wouldn't say to an unbeliever. I won't say to an unbeliever. Why? One of the things the Bible says, Jesus said, don't take your pearls and do what with them? Cast them for the sword. Another thing they're not going to understand. And sometimes we get with people and we start talking Christianese and talking about using all this language. They don't think we'll understand that in deeds in the Holy Ghost. And all you're doing is confusing them. And so there's some people that if they're unbelievers, they won't say. Then there's also people that are what I would say baby Christians. I don't need to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take my little uh, my little grandson out front and he got a big load of concrete blocks. Uh, out there, a flatbed truck of Charlie Barton, say, you, uh, Ryder, you need to help me unload all this. No, he didn't listen. What's the same thing? The weight mentally and other things, spiritually and other things, don't put things on people that they can't handle. And, and so, uh, but maybe, you know, uh, maybe they're just a new Christian. Or maybe if they're a mature Christian, then that's something else. But here's the other thing. I've seen people say things to other people and have no idea what that person is going through. I've actually had husbands who come to me and say, that person said this to my wife, and on the way home, she cried all the way home. I'm serious. We've got to come to a place that we have some discerning spirit about us that we know when to say something and when not to say something. If not, you don't have anything to say, then shut up! Amen? But James says, or, you know, James says this in James uh, 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, uh, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Verse 10, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things did not ought to be. Ever met somebody that talks about once they're just cussing up a storm? And I mean, they're using words that I would never use. Even using, maybe using God's name and thing, and all of a sudden they find out you're a preacher. <laughs> all of a sudden they find out you're a preacher, and all of a sudden they become real religious. Well, I guess you know I'm down there. Really do a lot of this. I, I, when Bob, when Bob early was alive, he asked me and. Go with him down to Okeechobee when we went down to fishing. And there was a fourth guy that we had on the boat with us. And when this guy found out that I was a preacher, he liked to kill me. Because he was planning on going down there drinking and, and, and having a really good time. And, <laughs> and I've been in meetings, I've been in meetings sometimes where somebody speaks up and says, I was used to when I you have to, when I was in the hospital, you used to have to go to meetings every once a week and nurses and doctors and everybody else in the room, and you had to get, and we talked about each patient, and they talked about what I'm doing, and they're doing other things, too. And we do that, and, and one of the girls, I don't know, she told something a little off color or something, and then she realized I was sitting next to her, and she looked over me, and she said, oh, Mr. Lee, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. I said, well, you know nothing. Well, Jesus is sitting right here. <laughs> Jesus is right here. Why do you want him to apologize to me? That's not, so James is right. You know, that tongue is incurable. So how do we gain control? How do we gain control of our tongue? Only by submitting our mind to Christ. Philippians, what does it say? Philippians 2.5. Listen to what it says. Let this mind be in you, which is 
is all things Christ in us. Using our minds, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself from the knowledge of God. And listen to this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. Do you, do you wrestle with thoughts? Do you wrestle with worry? Do you wrestle with disappointment? Do you wrestle with things in your mind all the time? Then what's the answer? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, and, and here's the other thing about this. It's not your obedience, it's His. Remembering that Christ died for you, and because He cried for you, man, died for you, man, what a difference that makes in your life. It ought to be. Every thought, bring it into captivity. And to come and give it to the Lord and say, Lord, did you see what just happened? James is right. The tongue is incorrigible. But Jesus, his divine half-brother, James declared in 8, 8, Luke 8, 27, he said, these things are impossible with, but they're possible with God. And if you turn it over to the Lord and you really continually give it to Him, you know, and I feel like sometimes when I tell people, turn it over to the Lord, go to the Lord, be with the Lord, they're saying, well, you know, I've had people, I said, listen, you need to go and pray about this. And I've had people look at me straight in the face and say, well, I really, I'm already going to be not pray until you got on your knees and you cried out to God until God gave you an answer. That's the difference. Old time people used to call it praying through. You're praying through until you got an answer. You got the Bible and you start reading, reading, and reading, and reading until you had a rhema, until God took a verse off that scripture and stuck it right in your face and said, this is what I want you to do. God will speak to you if you'll let Him, but we've got to spend time with Him. He knows in our, you know, the Bible says, if we seek God with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our strength, then we will find Him. But that's the key. We don't seek Him with all of our heart and soul. We just, with all of some, now I lay me down to sleep or something like that kind of prayer, and, and it don't work. So using our mind. And they also say this, before you speak, just to control your, your mouth, you've got to use your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, bring that thought into captivity. But they, all, they tell us, and I did a whole study on this one time, that before you speak, there is a, before you get, when something, you're getting ready to say something, there is a second in there, there's a second before you say something between the time you think of something so it manifests out of your mouth, there's that second. And God gives you that second. If you can't say that, and if you say that, and you don't know how many times in my life that's been the case. God says, don't you dare say that. Don't you dare say that. And you don't know how hard it is. <laughs> I mean, really, you, you don't know how hard it is sometimes. Somebody do something to you. Somebody you're mad at you. Well, what else? You want to just, I just, you know. And God says, Matthew 12, 24 says, Brood vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If our heart is good, then there's good things that ought to come out. So, so righteous words come from a righteous heart. The mind cleansed by Him has been surrendered to Christ, filled with the thoughts and stresses and the places there. But this type of life is impossible for the unbeliever. It is impossible for anyone who has failed to come to God solely on the merit of Christ and His atonement for sin. All acts of human sacrifice are part of the atonement. All acts of self 
of penance apart from faith. All these are acts of human righteousness. And it is only after a person has come to Christ, irrevocable, that God moves him to make the sacrifice of his body through which Jesus Christ is magnified. That's the only way that will ever happen. So let me close this way. Let me close by giving you three truths to help you live well. These are short. The secret of living well is the same secret to having joy. Let me say it again. The secret of living well is the same secret of having joy. And God has made it really simple for us to understand how we're to have joy. How do we have joy? Psalm what? 16. Psalm 16. I don't know what I, I don't think I gave that to you. Psalm 16 what? What's the verse there? Psalm 16. This is, and this is the secret. Show me the path of life. And then he says this, verse 11 of chapter 16. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. So how do I get joy? Get in his presence. You get in his presence, you can't help it. And so for anyone who's failed to come to God solely on the merits of Christ, his atoning death, got to come that way. But the secret of living well is the same as seeking in joy. It's the same as presence. It is the centrality of Jesus Christ keeping Him as the top priority. It is not that I take my life and I divide it up and I've got all this over here that's sacred and I've got all this over here that's secular. I do away with all that. And Jesus, I say, my whole life is yours. When I go to work, Lord, about it, I am yours, Lord. So here's the first thing. These are three things. Let me give them to you. Number one, first, when Christ is the sinner, He changes our attitude towards our sin. When Christ is the sinner, He changes our attitude towards our circumstances. What am I saying? You get with Him, and, and I'm just saying, don't, don't just say, well, now, that don't work. Okay. Have you been in the sinner? Has Christ been the sinner? Has He been the sinner of your life? Then put Him in the sinner and see what happens. When Christ is the sinner, He changes our attitude towards circumstances. When Mother Teresa was over in India doing all that work with lepers and everything else, the requirement of those people working with her was that she had to have a joyful attitude. She had to have a joyful attitude and yet they would be working and surrounded by so much pain and suffering that how in the world could you have that? Because Christ has to be the center. See, I don't... People come to me and say, well, you don't understand some of the circumstances, some of the things I'm going through, or some of the things I've been through, blah, blah, blah. You don't, and I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Don't, don't ever feel that while you're trying to say, well, you ought to be this. I don't feel that. But you've got to put Christ in the middle. And once Christ is in the middle, I'm saying, I'm not, I don't have that power to do that. 
can change things. We can change how you look at circumstances. It's interesting to me that there's a book that I give to a lot of people that are going through marital struggles. And that book is called A Marriage Makeover. And in this book, this guy says he's had, he's had success. I mean, he's had some men leave their wife for another man. He's had women leave their husband for another woman. On and on and on. And I mean, be gone for I don't know how many. And he said there are three things that he tells people. Number one, are you willing? And this you got to do. Number one, are you willing to let God be your source? Do you really believe in God? I don't mean yeah, I believe in God. No, I mean is He your source? Are you absolutely so dependent upon Him in everything you do, your finances, your health, everything? Are you absolutely dependent upon Him? He said that's the first thing. I get them to pray. The second thing is this: Are you willing to take and, and take a biblical? take the Bible and take biblical examples from the Bible and let that be part of your life. If you begin to live, that this book then becomes the the the, uh, the very manual that I live by. Biblical examples here. Am I willing to do that? So the first thing was this, that, you know, am I willing to let God be my source? Am I willing to, to take on biblical examples here and let them be part of my life? But here's the third thing. Am I willing, and this is one of the things that I see, and as I listen to people sometimes, this is where the problem is. Am I willing to pray that God will change my attitude, my attitude toward one side? Okay, now wait a minute. That's, wait a minute, Lee, you sure you got that right? Don't you say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to pray. Lord, if you'll just change her, or Lord, if you'll change, <laughs> you'll change him, he said, if I can get them to pray this one thing and begin to pray that God would change my attitude towards them, everything changes. Is Christ in the center, if you put Christ in the center of your circumstances, to change things? Because if you will, he will change your, how you look at your circumstances. And all of a sudden, maybe you're going to see that job that you thought was a hellhole. All of a sudden, you're going to see that job now as being a place where that God is actually giving you a ministry to really be, to affect some people. Here's the second thing. You know, and, and but let me just say this. Those who live with an internal abiding joy can't help but seek to conform their attitude towards circumstances to the deep seated conviction. And people look at him and they say, how in the world can you be so happy about that? That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. Here it is, God. Do you really want to change? I mean, smile on you when I see that delivery. I mean, really? Was, is Christ able to change you? Are you willing to believe this? Yeah. Here's the second thing. When Christ is the sinner, he delivers us from our preoccupation with how others view us. Oh, boy, there's getting some people right in the nose on this because, you know, we, boy, if you say, boy, today was a great day. I got down. I mean, well, I just got cleaned up. I don't know what I'm going to say. More, more, the more that Christ means to us, the less other people's opinions mean. Such as in the social media. God, we're silly in this place. You know, that they, they, that, well, that you dropped me from me from Facebook or whatever else. Big deal. If you're really in love with Jesus, if you're trying to exalt Jesus, maybe that's the thing that will exalt him. That you took a stand, and as a result of that, these people now, they don't like you. Jesus one time said, beware of those, if everyone speaks well of you. 
so it becomes a priority, not theirs. It becomes His passion, His pursuits, His plans for me. That's what I care about. What does He want? What does He want? And the third thing, the final thing is, when Christ is the sinner, He calms our fears about ourselves and our future. He calms ourselves about ourselves and about our future. You know, I'm 73 years old, and I, you know, I'm on the downside here. I, I, I know that it probably won't be long that um, the Lord's going to take me home. I, why you say Luke, how in the world can you you say that's morbid? No, it's not. Because you see, I've read the book. And I read the book and I found out what that I had not seen, not ear heard, not entered in the heart of man, what God has in store for them to love. Man, heaven is a wonderful place. And this old body I got right now, it hurts and acts and everything else every time I turn. People often say, well, well, well when, I wor- I'm, when they're worried, you say, I'm worried I might die. Well, let me just, just help you. Unless the rapture takes place, you're going to die. You know, <laughs> that's like the story of the woman where the guy goes to the doctor and, uh, and uh, they do all these tests on him and she's in there with the doctor and, and he says, uh, and he calls his wife and he says, now listen, he says, this is a very serious case. You've got to go home with your husband. And let me tell you what you got to do. you got to fluff the pillows every night so he can get into bed. you got to rub his feet from night to night. you got to have a good breakfast. And anything he needs or wants, if he's become passionate towards you, you got to really do that. And if, and if you don't do this now, you're going to die in addition to the things that you need to do. So she goes out where her husband is, and she says, he asks her, he says, well, what did the doctor say?
Do you know that what God's saying to you is He's got a plan for your life, and you're going to be, wow, how wonderful it is to realize that plan and run that plan until the time the Lord says, okay, let's go home. That's what He's meant to do. So rather than focus on how you'll die, begin to focus on how you're going to live. If Christ is the center, it doesn't matter whether we live long or short. What matters is we love Him, serve Him, rejoice in His salvation today, and Christ will take care of tomorrow. You know? I, you know, I know I know some folks right now are going through a, a horrendous thing. But what I've told them, in the midst of all this horrendous things that's going on, you don't know what God's doing. He'll take a disaster for you and turn it totally around and turn it into something unbelievable. You say, well, now, I don't know about that. Right, let, let's just give, let me give you an example. Look at Joseph. What if God says to Abraham, your people are going to sojourn in Egypt for 400 years. He says in the book of Psalms, he's going to send a man ahead. Who was that? That was Joseph. Well, how did Joseph get to Egypt? His brothers did what? They threw him in a hole, sold him off to his slaves. He goes down there. Potiphar's wife wants to play footsie with him. And, and then he gets thrown in jail. He's all these times. He was 18 years old when he went down there. He's almost 36 years old now. God moved his people to Egypt to save them from starving to death. But how did he get them there? We don't want to face up to this by the sin of his brothers. This is why on the last chapter of Genesis, Joseph looks at his brother and he says to him, What you intended for evil, God did what? He intended for good. So I'm saying to you, in the midst of a mess, you don't know what God can do. You don't know what it is. Well, all right. 